who's got it better than us? All right, welcome in. It's not an emergency edition of Always College Football, but it's basically that. Just moments ago, well, last night to be exact, Jim Harbaugh has officially taken the head coaching job of the Los Angeles Chargers. So we had alarm bells going off here at the ACF Twitter text feed, excuse me. We're texting each other. Let's, when can we go? When can we go? So we, we're all kind of scrambling. So this is going to be an unscripted, Always college football. So if you're coming here today for like stat breakdown and wins against replacement, EPA, like and fourth down conversion rate, like that's not, we're not going to have that today. I'm just going to kind of flow freely on what my thoughts were about Jim Harbaugh's tenure, what he meant for Michigan, what he meant for college football. Because in a roundabout way, I do think he helped your team. You might not agree, but I do think in a roundabout way, he probably did. So we will talk a lot about Jim Harbaugh today. We'll also talk about what Michigan does moving forward. And then finally, how does it impact the Big Ten? The other teams that are now joining the league, does this benefit them or does this hurt them? I think you probably know the answer to some of the schools. Will it help or will it hurt? I think a lot of people are very, very happy that Jim Harbaugh is going back to the National Football League. So let's start there with Jim Harbaugh taking the head job for the Los Angeles Chargers. So breaking news last night in the world of college football, Jim Harbaugh has stepped away from his alma mater to take a position in the NFL. We had talked for a long time that it could be going down. We had said, well, you know, there's a lot of buzz. Even before the season, every year, every single year, it was like, is this the year? Is this the year? Well, it turns out after restoring glory to his alma mater, he finally feels like the Los Angeles Chargers are the best job and he is going to take his talents to the NFL. And I think most Michigan fans, and I think most college football fans, whether you like him, dislike him, hate him, love him, whatever, however you feel, I think all of us are are kind of appreciative to an extent of his time back in the sport. Because he did restore order, not through the lens of an Ohio State Buckeye perhaps, but he at least gave Ohio State a hurdle that they had to go over en route to a championship for a handful of years from 2015 or so on all the way through 2019 when things started to kind of unwind and derail 2017 or whatever it was when things started to derail for him. And then the last three years in the sport, we've all been benefited to an extent by the amount of money and the eyeballs and all the things that have come to the sport as a result of the game between Ohio State and Michigan. And I don't think it would be as popular or as significant or have 20 million viewers if Ohio State was three, four, five touchdowns better than the Wolverines on a week-to-week basis. So whether you like them, dislike them, no matter how you feel about Jim Harbaugh, your school might have benefited from him. And frankly, what I'm grateful to Jim Harbaugh for is that he proved over the last handful of years that what has worked forever in the sport, what has worked forever in, in football at all levels, I mean, c- controlling the line of scrimmage, being physical defensively, imposing your will by running the football against a team that knows you're going to run the football, by taking a little bit of power away from the quarterback position, not necessarily in the pre-snap, but taking away a little bit of the responsibility offensively 
from the quarterback to revert more to a team-oriented style of attack. And I am grateful for that because I've always appreciated that style of football. It's the style of football I grew up with there in the 90s where it was about running backs and running the football and pounding it and all these other things. And even the early 2000s, like I loved that that brand of football. And the the spread era has been fun. I love it. It's a lot of fun. I've enjoyed learning new offenses, learning new technologies and, and identities and tendencies. Those things are all great. But I also appreciate when it's done the way it's always been done. And that's what Jim Harbaugh did over the last few years. I think the world saw the sport going in a certain direction, right? In the realm of a of more, you know, air raid philosophies. In a realm of more, you know, Baylor style of attack where they spread it vertically with an athletic quarterback and move around and push the ball down the field. It felt like that was where we were going and everyone was going to kind of adopt that style of offense. Jim Harbaugh said, no, 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 we're, we're going to go back to doing it the way I did at Stanford and we're going to do it out of more modern looks, out of shotgun, out of pistol, but we're still going to do the things I did with Toby Gerhardt and Andrew Luck and route to several, several impressive performances over the course of their careers. So I am grateful to Jim Harbaugh for that fact. The other thing I'm kind of intrigued by is he ruffled some feathers. And if we think back early in the 2015, 2016, he thought outside the box. And there were two things, for example, that I thought will always be memorable about his tenure outside of the obvious success he's had the last three years. But the way he could ruffle feathers and push the envelope now, people will interpret that in a bunch of different ways, and I can already see it now. Comments flying in about Connor Stallions and you know pushing the envelope. I get it. I understand that. But he pushed the envelope on the recruiting trail. Remember, he did those satellite camps in the southern part of the United States when the SEC was gobbling up all these recruits. All these recruits because all the recruits had to do was drive to one of those locations in the Southeastern Conference and say, yep, yeah, I think I'll play there. He went and took his show on the road and he went to recruits and brought the entire staff, put them through a camp and allowed guys to work with their coaches in a camp setting. And that ruffled a lot of people's feathers. James Franklin followed suit. Others from the Big Ten footprint came down to the Southeast and started to do these satellite camps. So that was something that I will always remember. Uh, another thing that I'll always remember about Jim Harbaugh was just the, the things that he would kind of do on game day uh the the chances that he would take at times uh very important critical down and distance and knowing that you're going to get power plus and that's going to be just the way it was like there's just so many great things about Jim Harbaugh's tenure um I also think that it was cool for me as as an an outside observer it was cool to see someone spurn overtures on an annual basis because I think you really, really took great pride in coaching his alma mater. I think coaching your alma mater is one of the coolest things that you could have in the sport. Because you've walked those shoes, walked those tunnels as a player. You've walked those hallways as a guy that was there in your most impressionable age. That place is going to be special to you, no matter what. But to go back and to see where it was... For him to come in, have immediate success. Remember, he was a he was a couple inches away on a fourth down stop or a fourth down whatever it was in 2016 from getting to the playoffs on his own right. Like they were good, very good early, and then the league changed and got away from him a bit. 
And then after 2020, they pressed the reset button and they reverted back to what Jim Harbaugh is most comfortable with. But I think it was really neat to see them try to kind of follow suit in the way that the sport was going. Remember, they had Josh Gaddis. They were going to RPO. They were going to start throwing all over the yard. That was kind of where they were trending. It felt like that was where they were going. And that was inevitability that they were going to become an RPO team. And then they decided to change back and say, nope, no more RPO. We're going to commit to the run game. We're going to commit to offensive line play. We're going to get elite running backs. And we're going to take it the distance. And to see them get over the hump in 2021, it's one of those games that even without a dog in the hunt, I was fortunate that week to be calling the Egg Bowl. So I actually had Saturday to just watch college football. And to know that that game was followed by the Iron Bowl was like the craziest seven hours of my life. That Iron Bowl that went to double overtime, triple overtime in, in Auburn, right? It was insane. Long story short, I remember when they got over the hump for the very first time and the fashion with which they got over the hump, just absolute dominance on the defensive side. Slowing down an offense that a lot of us that day thought, man, that team is unstoppable. <laughs> Ohio State is cooking. Like CJ Stroud's getting more comfortable. Their receivers are off the charts. And then for Michigan to just completely shut them down was remarkable. And then the next year, to see the big plays that were created against Ohio State. I mean, just 60, 65, 70-yard plays multiple in the fourth quarter alone to turn that thing and just put it on ice after Ohio State started the way they did. Remember, Ohio State got out to a lead in that game, and it wasn't until they hit Cornelius Johnson on a big catch and run that the game kind of became in the balance. So that, I thought, was an also remarkable performance. But this year, to do what they did in the final four games of the year, because the championship, amazing. Semifinal, amazing. Big Ten championship, Fine, I have to bridge the gap somewhere. But the win against Ohio State was an amazing performance. It was a great defensive performance. They had a couple big turnovers in the game. They ran the ball pretty efficiently for the most part, relatively speaking. They had the big hitter right after Zach Sinter got hurt. So there's a lot to celebrate about what transpired over the last three years and to culminate with restoring order for the Michigan program by bringing home their first undisputed national championship since 1948 is pretty remarkable. I know they won one in 97. I, I understand that, but it was split. The last time it was undisputed was 75 years ago. So for Jim Harb Harbaugh to do that at his alma mater is amazing. Now, where does Michigan go from here? And I think that this is about as much of a slam dunk as you could possibly imagine. I love to sit here and try to make a real credible argument on behalf of anyone not named Sharon Moore. And don't get me wrong, there are excellent football coaches out there that would absolutely desire this job. <laughs> like it is a highly desirable job. Uh, I would imagine that they'll have, there are coaches right now that are on the phone begging for a chance to interview at Michigan. Uh, just for a chance, just to, just to, just to have that possibility, even if it's a 1% chance, a one in a million chance, Lloyd Christmas style, you're saying there's a chance. So a lot of people would love that chance. I just don't know. How you can possibly, if you're Ward Manual and you're going through this coaching search, how does the coaching search not start and stop with Sharon Moore? I just I can't justify it. 
Now, remember, we just talked for 10 minutes about what Jim Harbaugh emphasized and, and the offensive line play and making sure that they are really physical along the line of scrimmage. And the group that sets the tone on the team, more often than not, when it comes to physicality, is the offensive line. The offensive line and the defensive line. It's as simple as that. That's, those are the groups that set the tone. Absolutely, 100%. So... When you look at the offensive line the last few years and the continuity that they've had and the fact that they've had turnover and yet that group has maybe not always been playing at a ridiculous level. I mean, two straight Joe Moore awards is pretty dang solid and to be a finalist or at least a semi-finalist this year tells you all you need to know. But they've lost some guys. They've had to mix some pieces. And guess what? That group just was steady Eddie, man, for the last three years. And that is the testament of quality leadership. And at the head coaching position, I want quality leadership. I think Sharon Moore is that guy. I also think, too, don't you want to just kind of keep things going? You already got a dress rehearsal six times this year. 40% of your best season in 15, 16 years. Well, 15, 16. Try 25, 26. Brain, all right? Not working at 100%, clearly. Best season in... 25, 26 years, and this guy was the head coach or the acting head coach for 40% of it, including by far your two most difficult tests in the regular season. Now, there is an argument to be made that, man, a guy with, you know, real head coaching experience would be really valuable taking over a situation like this. And I don't disagree with that. I think having head coaching experience is always super valuable. I've always kind of believed in the idea that, well, you become, if you're in college, right, you're a GA and then you get a position coach job and then you get a coordinator job and then you get a head coaching job and then you go get, and then you get a head coaching job at a G5 level, then you get a head coaching job at a P5 level. Like that's what I've always just thought was maybe the best way of kind of finding a head coach. But that's not always the case. Not when you want to keep the status quo. And Sharon Moore is the perfect example of a guy that could keep the status quo. The best era in my lifetime of Michigan football has happened in the last three years. Well, don't you want to just keep a good thing going? Should they interview other candidates? Sure. I'm, I'm not against that. I'd absolutely like to hear what a couple people have to say. And just out of sheer curiosity, I'd really like to know who all's interested. <laughs> I think a lot of folks would be really interested in finding that information out as well. But it's going to be really interesting because there's going to be a boatload of candidates that want this. I just don't know how you can justify looking over Sharon Moore. And while Michigan fans might hate this idea, we might hate this and resent this. And while I totally understand why you feel that way, there's a pretty good of example of a guy that was promoted from the offensive coordinator spot in your division that might be a rival that's been really dang good. Now, I know Ohio State fans aren't super thrilled with what Ryan Day has done on an annual basis. Losing to Michigan three straight years, that, that's a tough pill to swallow. I'm not trying to say that it isn't. But he's taken Ohio State to the promised land, the playoff. He has gotten them in a position to knock off, at the time, a defending national champion. So I think when you look at what's gone on at 
the school that you loathe the most. And the fact that the transition from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day really wasn't too bad. They haven't really skipped a beat, frankly, outside of losing to you the last couple of years. I would think you'd want to maybe apply the same logic. You don't want to skip a beat from Jim Harbaugh to the next guy. You don't want to alter the culture. You don't want to have a lot of turnover within the administrative staff. You don't want a lot of turnover amongst the assistant coaches. So how do you avoid some of that? By promoting from within and keep a good thing going. So I think Sharon Moore is the most logical choice, but it will be fascinating to see just how many people are potentially flocking to a job that is clearly highly desirable. The other thing that we need to kind of figure out here, what does this mean for the Big Ten as a whole? Now, I've already seen the running joke. I've seen it, whether it be on social media or maybe people even mentioning it when I was at dinner a little while ago and found out about this information. Uh, people are suggesting that the reason why Harbaugh's leaving is because look how loaded Ohio State's going to be this year. Like, come on. Like, let's let's be real. All right, no, that's not accurate. There have been multiple times in which Harbaugh has turned down NFL jobs because he didn't quite feel like they got where they wanted to go. So I think he's very much at peace with this decision. I think he's got a great opportunity in front of him with the Los Angeles Chargers with an established quarterback in a division that is remarkable. Think about Chargers now with Harbaugh. You got the Raiders who finished pretty strong. You got Russ Wilson, all right, in Denver who I know is not playing great, but his coach, uh, he'll be entertaining and speak on Russ's behalf. And then you got Patrick Mahomes. So I'm excited to see what happens in the AFC West moving forward. That's not a conversation for this show. But look at the Big Ten right now. And the Big Ten is in such a state of transition. And there might be an identity crisis in the Big Ten. Not in a bad way. Like, you're going to think crisis as if it's bad. It's not. It's just is the athleticism and the speed that the organs of the world possess or USC's of the world possess, is that going to win out over the blunt forced trauma that has been the Big Ten for the last however many years? Century, perhaps? Thereabouts? What's one of the Big Ten has always been ground and pound. Always. And yes, there have been elite quarterbacks that have played in systems that have put those quarterbacks in great position to be successful. But Talia Tungabailoa is the second leading all-time player in passing yards in the history of Big Ten football, if I'm not mistaken. That's off the top of my head. I think he's first, second, whatever he is. He's up there, all right? But this is a league that if you look at the running back numbers, <laughs> it's like... One super elite running back after another super elite running back after a Heisman Trophy, Heisman Trophy, two Heisman Trophies, you name it. So this is a league that's always been about ground and pound and physicality, but there is a new era coming to town and there's four teams that can run and I'll be curious to see what wins out. I don't know the answer to that. I don't even know if Big Ten coaches at the time right now know the answer to that. Do you want to be a team that emphasizes speed on the perimeter and play games on the perimeter or do you want to play the game in the phone booth? That's what we got to figure out. We're not going to know that just yet. But we know how Jim Harbaugh wanted to play. <laughs> we know how Michigan has had success playing. Against speed teams, power teams, didn't matter. They were going to run it. They were going to run it. They were going to run it again. So how will this all work out? The greatest beneficiary to this is Ohio State. I don't know how anyone could push back on that. The second greatest beneficiary to this 
is Penn State. James Franklin can beat everybody except for Ryan Day and Jim Harbaugh, at least in the last handful of years. So those two are going to benefit immediately from Jim Harbaugh moving to the NFL. Not saying anything negative about Sharon Moore. He might be better than Jim Harbaugh for all we know. I have no idea. David Shaw ended up being pretty dang good at Stanford <laughs> after Jim Harbaugh left. So maybe Sharon Moore will end up being and having a career like David Shaw had, which people will say, well, he never won a championship. You try winning that many games at Stanford and tell me how easy it is. All right. David Shaw was really dang good. So maybe that's what Sharon Moore will be. But here in the immediate, the optics will now lead me to believe that Ohio State and Penn State, both of whom were beaten by Sharon Moore as the acting head coach last year, they stand to benefit the most from this move. No doubt about it. Other teams stand to benefit. Jonathan Smith and Michigan State. New head coach and state rival. They've actually played Michigan very, very well in the last 10 years. I don't know what their record is against Michigan, but I would imagine it's a coin toss. Thereabouts. So they stand to benefit from this. Because, hey, when you have some turnover, you have some change, you have some loyalties, maybe those loyalties now are up in the air for both teams that are replacing head coaches, Michigan State and Michigan. They stand to benefit. Uh, other teams, I don't know how they benefit yet. To be honest, How often are Oregon and Michigan going toe-to-toe in recruiting? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I'm not a recruiting guru. Don't pretend to be. Do my best. Subscribe to all the sites. ESPN, on three, two, four, seven. Subscribe to them all. Love them all. Rivals. If I'm forgetting one, I'm sorry. I subscribe to them all. I think they're great. I let those people handle recruiting battles and pipelines. I just trust them. I don't know. I don't know who they're going head-to-head against. I know they went head-to-head against a lot with Michigan, was Washington. Washington, they like fought on every kit. Now, part of that had to do with Courtney Morgan, who's the you know the player development guy, the recruiting guy, the GM, if you will. He's now at Bama with Kalen DeBoer, but he was kind of he helped build Washington. He also helped build Michigan. So there were a lot of battles that they intersected. But I don't know how it relates to USC. I'm not sure how it affects UCLA or Oregon. As far as the other teams in the Big Ten, they were all looking up at Michigan anyway. So everyone to a certain extent stands to benefit. <laughs> Maybe Michigan will come back to earth a little bit. I don't necessarily think that's likely. But it's certainly possible. That's for sure. But it's a fascinating move that's going to rattle everybody in college football. It's, I think it's a great move, to be honest with you. And I don't know a single Michigan friend of mine or a Michigan fan that I've seen that isn't very, very grateful and appreciative for Jim Harbaugh. But we're good. We're going to be in good shape. That's the, the sentiment, or so it appears, amongst the Michigan brass. So grateful, so appreciative, totally get it. Go win your Super Bowl, man. We support you all the way. You're a Michigan man and we appreciate you. But they feel really good, I think, about where the program's at, its current standing, and I can't imagine regardless of where this hire goes. And if it goes anywhere other than Sharon Moore, I'd be shocked. But if it does, the program's still going to be in remarkably good hands. I can't believe you made the comparison of Ryan Day to Sharon Moore. I'm not sure Michigan will do that just because of that. But joking around... Question, do you think Michigan learned anything from what Alabama went through two weeks ago when Nick Saban retired? Like if Jim Jim Harbaugh is now gone, what can they do to keep their roster in place over the next 30 days? Well, it's a good question. And there is some speculation. uh, I guess you could call it a conspiracy theory that this was a slam dunk that Harbaugh was going to the charge from the jump and he delayed it 
delayed and, and created more leverage for himself while also at the same time kind of forcing the hand of the players. So now that the portal is open for the next 30 days, how many guys can realistically enter and find a home on the other side where their eligibility won't possibly be impacted? I mean, we're three weeks into term, two weeks into term. I don't know what the drop date is on some of their classes. I don't know how late you can transfer and still be eligible the following semester. I don't know. I'm not going to try to pretend to. I know. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I do know that a lot of people think that. Whether that's true or not, I have no clue. But I do know that he probably just got paid handsomely. <laughs> I know his request was for $18 million. Him and Don Yee, his agent, that was what he wanted. Did he get there? I don't know. They won't release publicly what the salary figure was. But I do think it'll be very interesting because there might be a player or two that is super loyal to Jim Harbaugh and Jim Harbaugh alone. And they want to consider their options. But I think it's unlikely. At this point, you're several weeks removed from the transfer portal being really moving. Will there be a guy or two that'll jump in? Probably. But if they promote from within and they keep things going the way they've been doing them, I can't imagine some ridiculous amount of turnover as compared to what Alabama went through a couple of weeks ago when it was a completely different staff and a completely different scheme, both offensively and defensively. My last question here, I think Michigan fans will agree that Harbaugh is probably the best coach in the modern history of, of football for them. You know, I mean, the undisputed national championship and 10-win season. Who's six arguing it? You got Lloyd Carr coming Lloyd up? Lloyd Carr, yeah. 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 <laughs> Lloyd Carr had a good numbers, but, you know, it's the split tie versus the full one. So yeah, I guess my question enough. is, outside of Ann Arbor, what do you think – Jim Harbaugh's legacy is to the rest of the college football world. You mentioned ruffling the feathers. He's won at Stanford. He won at Michigan. I'm just curious what you think his legacy is. Where does he stand? I think he's, uh, I think a lot of people don't like him, you know, and there are, there are aspects of what transpired this last year that, that make people really, really frustrated. Like I've kind of said, I don't think that the sign stealing saga is, as significant as some people have suggested. I, I I don't think it impacts the outcome of games personally. Like it's just my, that's just my thought. I might be the crazy one. Perfectly fine with that. If that's the way you feel, I totally get it. But I, I don't think that he's viewed very favorably uh, because of that aspect. I think because of, you know, he's just kind of, he's quirky and, and I also think, too, some of the things that transpired early in his tenure at Michigan with satellite camps and all that stuff just really rubbed people the wrong way. Remember, he was also taking his team to Europe, too, at the same time. They would go and they'd have a spring practice week in Europe. And that was like some extravagant expense that no one else could afford. <laughs> it was pretty significant. So I think that for the most part, people respect the program he built. Uh, I think people acknowledge that he's an elite coach for sure but I don't think on the whole he's viewed very favorably by college football fans because of the apparent shortcuts that people believe he took a couple news and notes to clean up Will Rogers is out of the transfer portal he's going to stay at Washington after all I think this is a good move too by the way 
I look at what Jed Fish asked Noah Fafita to do. I looked at what he asked Jaden Delore to do the last couple of years. Like, I think it's actually a really good fit offensively for Will Rogers. Now, it's not going to be the traditional air raid that he ran at Mississippi State for several years prior to transitioning last year for the one-off. But I, I think this is a good fit for him. Now, remember, this is a guy that's really had a, a highly productive career. Uh, he was the number two all-time leader in the SEC when he put his name in passing yards, when he put his name in the transfer portal. Now, understandable, after Kalen DeBoer left, he decided to enter the portal again, but didn't seem like that was going to happen when Austin Mack decided to go with him. It just it felt, and then there's got Jalen Milrow there as well. It just didn't seem like there was going to be a home in Tuscaloosa for Will Rogers. He talked to a bunch of schools, according to ESPN, talked to a bunch of schools, uh, but ultimately decided that Washington made the most sense. So I, I think it's a great decision, by the way. Uh, he's likely going to be the starting quarterback. You look at the other quarterbacks on the roster for Washington. Michael Penix, NFL. Dylan Morris going to James Madison. Austin Mack went to Alabama. And Will Haskell's in the portal. So Washington's 2024 quarterback signee, Demarcus Davis, also was leaving after everything decided to go down. So it's like there's a lot of, of movement at the quarterback. I think this was a need for Washington to retain Will Rogers. So I think it was a solid decision by him to stay where he's at and just let's figure this thing out and, and run an offense that maybe you are think I, I think well suited to run with your skill set. Uh, LSU decided to promote their quarterback coach Joe Sloan to offensive coordinator. Him and along with uh, wide receivers coach Cortez Hankton are going to serve as co-offensive coordinators. That's according to 247 Sports. Now Joe Sloan will handle the play calling duties, but this was kind of a, an interesting turn because there were, there were some names and some scuttlebutt that, that it, who it could be, what direction they might go. But if you look at what they did in the ReliQuest Bowl, they put up 493 yards of offense uh, against Wisconsin, who is a very proud team on the defensive side of the football. Uh, Wisconsin had allowed just 340 yards per game heading into the game. And for you to put up nearly 500 with a backup quarterback and to know that some of your top playmakers only played for a half, I think is massive. I mean, Garrett Nussmeyer was super comfortable as well. I mean, he threw for 395 in the game and three touchdowns in his first career start. So I think it was a good move. Hey, you got a good thing going down there offensively. Promote from within. I think it'll work out just fine. So that was a good decision by Brian Kelly to just stay in-house and figure out what they want to be offensively. Arizona, they've had so much turnover the last couple of weeks. Uh, Dave Hickey is out as the athletic director. After seven years, they are also losing Jonah Coleman from Arizona, their running back. He's heading to Washington. As far as Hickey is concerned, it was a little bit of a surprise. Not a significant surprise given the fact that there's a lot of issues from a budgetary standpoint there at the university. There's a university-wide $240 million miscalculation of projected cash on hand. So that's a huge problem. They've had hiring freezes and pauses on construction projects and the athletic department uh, is still on the hook to pay $55 million loan that they took during the pandemic. So it was a very tumultuous time there in Arizona. Now, Hiki's time in Tucson is actually probably going to be remembered in a lot of ways somewhat favorably. I mean, he hired Jed Fish, who led a turnaround. Uh, he hired the basketball coach Tommy Lloyd, who was the 2022 National Coach of the Year, and he just hired Brent Brennan 
as the new head football coach for Arizona. So it was interesting that they decided to allow him to hire the next football coach and then they fired him. So I thought the timing of that was unusual, but worth noting for sure that there were some good things that actually were done during Hiki's time there in Tucson. And then finally, on a sad note, as a dog lover myself and as someone that has always been very fond of live mascots, man, bummed to see that Uga 10, the winningest mascot in Georgia football history, passed away just a couple days ago. English Bulldog uh, patrolled the sideline for the most successful run in Georgia Bulldogs football history. And he was 10 years old. He was known as Q, by the way, which I did not know until like seven or eight years ago. I did not know that Ugga's name was not Ugga. Uh, if you didn't know that, that's fun fact of the day. I didn't. So up until seven or eight years ago, I was sitting there on the SEC Nation set in 2015, and Ugga came up. I'm like, hey, Ugga, and you know, petting him and everything. He goes, no, that's not his name. I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean it's not his name? His name is Ugga. I mean, everybody knows that. No, his name's Q. Oh, well, shoot. All right. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, I met him right around the time that he was announced. Uh, at the age of two, he was in a collaring ceremony there on November 21st of 2015. And during an eight-year tenure as a mascot, Georgia went 91-18, and 18, including two national championships, two SEC titles, and made seven New Year's Six Bowl appearances. So rest in peace, Uga. Rest in peace, Q. And thoughts and prayers to all those that, that loved the, the Bulldog mascot. Um, just sad to, to see him pass, but I know they'll have it. I know they, he had a great life, and I know he was well-loved by so many members of the Athens community. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please continue to like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us. I uh, really appreciate all of you guys for all that you guys have done to help us grow over the last year and change. So we appreciate you. Know that we see you. Know that we continue to do this because we know that you guys love it the way we love it. So please continue to support us by subscribing, by liking, hitting that thumbs-up button on the bottom of the YouTube page, subscribe to the ESPN College Football channel, then, of course, download the podcast wherever you get your podcast. So for all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, the other Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey, guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.